So, well, thanks a lot for joining me here, Marissa. Could you just uh, get started, introduce yourself, tell tell everybody where you're calling from, and um, uh, yeah, where you work, and and just who you are. Sure. My name is Marissa Hughes. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and I, I am in my own private practice. It's right now I'm working with Heart Connection Center. It's a group private practice and my company is called Marissa Hughes Counseling. And, um, you can reach me on my website, marissahughescounseling.com. That's Marissa with one S and I'm located in Boca Raton. That's where my practice is, but you know, I'm willing to kind of do what it takes to help people. So, you know, I'm really trying to kind of expand myself. I'm considering web-based treatment as well. Right now it's local and private practice in Boca. All right, great, Marissa. Uh, can you, um, you have a quote that you would say that inspires your, the work you do? You know, it's my most favorite quote in the world is actually, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent from Eleanor Roosevelt. It just, that quote just has always, it's gotten me through life. It's gotten me through so many important things. And it's just, it's so related to trauma in that, you know, it's saying like, no matter what I've been through, no matter what's ever happened in my life, nothing can make me feel less than, nothing can make me feel inferior unless I choose to. And I think that that, that quote gives so much power to people, to the ability to make your own life choices and have your own footprint. Um, whereas so often I think we feel so powerless and so unable to really make a difference. And so the fact that, you know, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent, it says to me, I'm in control of if I let it make me feel inferior, they can do what they want. They can try, but you know, it empowers me. And I think it's really empowering for other people as well. Well, thank you. That, that is a great one. It's true. Especially with trauma, it's, it's not, often it's talked about, it's not the event itself. It's how you, uh, mm -hmm. how you, uh, how it affects you or how you respond to it. Oh yeah, very much so. So I, I wanted to, if you could share a little bit about this story about how, how you, um, how you got interested in being, uh, in specializing in, in working in the trauma domain of all the things you could do with, uh, yeah. with, um, psychotherapy? You know, I absolutely love trauma work. I find it to be so human and so um, raw and real. And I'm just, I'm very interested in the human experience. Um, with, with therapy in general, I've always been that person that people go to, that people, you know, want to talk to for help. Since I was a little girl, I remember always being that person that people wanted to vent to. Um, and then when I went into school and I really started studying psychology and then going for my master's of social work at NYU, you know, I really took the clinical approach. I went specifically for clinical work at NYU and I, I got so much out of it. Um, but at that point I really, I was very broad. I didn't know yet what my passion was. Um, and over time, you know, to be honest with you, I started working through my own stuff and my own healing from trauma. And, you know, I just found that there's such a need in our community and, and just around the world for trauma. I think that, you know, I, my, through my own experience, I've had so many therapists who were well-intentioned and really, you know, wanted to do good, but I think they just didn't get trauma in the way that, you know, I needed them to, to help me heal. And so it just, it kind of developed and evolved into its own thing naturally and organically in that. You know, I just, I feel like it's my duty in this world. I feel like I owe it to people because I get it, that I would be doing a disservice to clients if I were to just focus on, you know, general therapy. 
um, which I'm very, you know, able to do as well. But I really, my, my specialty is trauma because I do get it. And I owe it to my clients to be that person that gets it because too many people just don't get it. Uh, what, what sort of modalities do you, do you utilize to uh, help uh, your clients that are dealing with the trauma symptoms? Um, you know, I use EMDR. I'm trained in EMDR therapy. And you know, I obviously use CBT, DBT, mindfulness-based approaches as well. I'm very into the mindfulness approaches. I think it's just all about being in the here and the now and present. Um, but with regards to EMDR, you know, it's it's such an amazing, amazing invention and creation to help people. And I myself has undergone EMDR therapy. And I just, I found it so amazing how it works. And, you know, I remember kind of being skeptical myself and, you know, all the just kind of judgments that I had of it, opinions that I had of it, thinking, you know, oh, it's probably just, you know, waving your fingers in front of someone's eyes and that's it, you know. But I remember like once I was really going through the process myself as a client, I learned so much about how it's so much deeper and the finger movements, while they're very important, are almost the last part that happens in EMDR. You know, the most important parts are resource building and, you know, really learning how to, you know, use healthy coping skills and heal. Um, And that relationship between the therapist and the client is key. And I think that really, you know, the fact that I finally worked with someone who was EMDR trained and who, you know, really got trauma in a different way, that's what healed me. That's what helped me. And by the time I got to the actual, you know, dual eye movement stimulation, I was so ready to heal because I had seen so many therapists that unfortunately, you know, while they met well, just didn't know what to say and, you know, would give me just poor, poor advice, you know, Mm -hmm. just totally, you know, off base, get over it or, you know, it's not a big deal or, you know, you don't even know if it happened, you know, just terrible things. And so, yeah. Right. Well, here's a question that that I, I think is interesting. I wanted to see your, your take on this. Is do you think if somebody had a significant trauma in their childhood, like sexual abuse, emotional abuse, or physical abuse, I I, I really particularly think those types of experiences are some of the toughest to uh, to uh, to deal with because you know, one one that they uh, impact you as at a young age, the brain is still developing, and that. Mm-hmm. When you have somebody who's very close to you to betray your trust, it's, it's just very hard to go out in the world and trust people. And, and hypervigilance and, uh, is one of these uh, signs that are uh, symptoms, rather, that are associated with trauma. And if somebody from outside your family abuses you or, or that's not that close to you, it, it, I think it's easier to uh, accept rather than somebody who's very close to you. So do you mm-hmm. think that... Uh, people can totally uh, transcend their trauma or totally uh, eliminate it. Because I've heard other therapists, which I'm very skeptical about, that there's any modality that, that, oh, that you can just clear trauma. This one modality that some people practice around here called rapid resolution trauma, mm-hmm. RRT, these mm-hmm. people that practice this think that they can just clear trauma. And, I, and I'm skeptical of that. I'm wondering your, your opinion. You know, I wouldn't say that it's 100% something you can clear. I do think, though, that you can live a life that feels, like, symptom-free. You know, I've gotten myself to that point where there's just no symptoms anymore. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of triggers. I'm aware of all of these things. And that's, 
you know, the extent of it, it doesn't go beyond that, you know, but I, I don't think that it can ever really go away. Um, but I think that people can get to a point and that's my whole goal with clients. You know, I think so many people go into therapy thinking they're going to be in therapy forever. You know, oh, I'm going to be in talk therapy for the rest of my life. And I say to my clients very clearly, you know, I don't want you here. I want you to be better. I want you to not need this. And my goal is to help you get there. Um, So really, I mean, the truth of the matter is I think it's about willingness. I think that the person has to be willing to work through their stuff. Um, It's painful. It's painful work, but I think it's so worth it. And, you know, I know when I went into it on my, you know, on the other side of things, I really felt like, oh, you know, when is this ever going to go away? And, you know, it's so amazing that it has and that I can live my life normally now and that it doesn't affect every, every aspect of it. And now I'm here to really help other people have that same, you know, positive outcome as I have. But I think it takes constant work. It takes constant awareness. But at, at times, like that, the symptom level does decrease as you get used to the symptoms and normalize them. You know, I think some of the symptoms from trauma that, that so many people, you know, don't even talk about is dissociation right. and, you know, triggers. And I think that, you know, if we, if we work as a team to help people understand what are triggers, how to work with them, how do you help your loved ones understand how to respond to them so that they don't trigger you more, I think that those things are the key to making life more enjoyable and more, you know, enjoyable and, you know, happy, you know, it's really, it's, it's, that's such an important part. And also, you know, normalizing things like dissociation, most people who have dissociation have trauma because our body only has that ability to really check out if it needs to, to cope as a coping skill. Um, so instead of looking at that as, you know, a monster or something that takes you out of reality and that is frightening, you know, I want to help people look at that as that's normal. That makes sense. That's how you survive. That's how you are alive right now. Yeah. Let's use it as an ally. And, and I, I, well, I, I'm assuming, but I, it's not good to assume, as you know, <laughs> but uh, uh, in, in your work, your training, did you, have you worked with people with schizophrenia? Yes. I mean, it's, you know, I think trauma especially it's not limited to you know age race there's no there's such a diversity in the people that experience trauma you know and and what our mental health issues are come from trauma but they're also from our genetics you know it's both of those things you know the the um nature and the nurture that that make this happen and so you know i definitely i think that knowing who your client is and how to work with them specifically what their needs are are so crucial you know i believe in not meeting someone and pushing them right away you know it, it's all about the client it's all about meeting them where they are you know t- so often i've had i've heard stories of therapists telling someone oh yeah you were definitely sexually abused that person definitely abused you and it's just that's way too soon way too harsh for somebody to hear if they're well, ready but, to accept it well i agree but i think it sh- it should it should be uh, i think the person should they, they should the therapist should allow the person to def- to exactly. define the experience for themselves they shouldn't exactly a, and so rather someone is very high functioning lower functioning you know regardless of their other mental health issues that are at play, I think it's about meeting them where they're at. It's all about the client, and everybody's experience is a little bit different. No, but going back, I brought up the schizophrenia thing because my my, my perspective is that um, I don't really believe in schizophrenia as a uh, as a disease entity. I think it's it's a reaction to trauma. That that it's mm-hmm. one of the more when you're talking about dissociation, I think the people that are hearing devo- uh, voices and come mm-hmm. up with an alternate reality, it's just a 
extreme form of, of dissociation. The general, mm -hmm. general, the person that's functioning better is is not going to be that extreme. But the person, right. it's a combination of a lot of factors. But uh, the generally, the people that are schizophrenia, schizo that present with that way, are just don't have a lot of social support mm -hmm. and generally experience a lot of heavy-duty trauma in their childhood. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, our brains are really powerful, powerful healing tools. Our brains are going to do things for us that we have no control over, you know, that are going to help us get through things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to. And so, you know, I think that it's it's a healthy mechanism. You know, while it might feel uncomfortable or be labeled as a negative for some people, you know, at the end of the day, it's what's got you living right now. And so it's, you know, it's something that can become an ally. And that's one of the biggest things I work on with my clients is, you know, let's look at these things and focus on them being strengths instead of weaknesses. Because we have two choices. We can look at it as the cup half full or the cup half empty, you know, or we just have a cup, you know, but it's, it's really about, you know, let's look at it being full. Let's look at the good things, the strengths that you have that are helping you survive. Well, going back to what you were talking about, um, about clearing trauma, that, that my perspective, I, I, initially when I heard this term, I thought it was sort of a bogus term that it didn't really have any meaning, this, that, that people need to uh, integrate, integrate the experience in their life. And, and mm -hmm. after um, studying neuroscience and various things, it does make more sense to me how this sort of mechanism is at work. And there's, there's some good, there's a good validity to this concept of integration because... If you really think about it, if you understand a little bit more about the brain, that basically in the, in the simplistic way that you, you know, your cortex is more the higher order part of your brain than mm -hmm. towards your brain stem is more those primal kind of uh, stress reactions. And that the, the, uh, a lot of the symptoms, of pro uh, it's just sort of a disconnect between the, 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 the cortex and the lower, more reptilian brain. And the integration is being to... You know, integrate those horrible experiences and make sense of it in a way mm -hmm. that, uh, that's connected. Definitely. You know, it's our brains are trying to make sense of things. And so, so many people too have, you know, blocked out memories. And that's so linked to our brain really trying to grasp things, but also knowing like what needs to be locked out of our brain and not remembered so that we can survive. You know, I think our brain is kind of not given enough credit for how amazing it really, really is and what it does for us. And, you know, so many times I think, it, you know, I think there's no good thing. I mean, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, I wish I remembered so I can move forward. Or some people will say, I wish I didn't have memories so I can move forward. You know, I think it's all about like, let's look at the parts of you that are working. Let's look at the strengths because really at the end of the day, we can work with those, we can use them and use them to our advantage so that you can heal. And so, you know, let's use the fact that our brains are really, really amazing parts of our body. Right. I really agree with you on the importance of how, how much our brain plays a role. I really agree. Um, well, also, I mean, another, another th uh, question I'd like to ask all the therapists that I have on here is that uh, one, of the, one of the newer uh, things with the trauma research is the idea that uh, the trauma is often, it's not really, we talk about the brain, but the, the mm -hmm. trauma is often also held in the body. So as, oh, a, yeah. as a therapist, how, how do you um, uh, address that? You know, I believe wholeheartedly that trauma is in the body. Um, I find I'm actually really, really interested in yoga right. and the combination of yoga and trauma. Um, you know, because it's so much about the body. And I think sometimes people don't talk about the part of our body that you know, it's called body memories and that, 
you know, sometimes in certain parts of our body where people were, were abused, they feel that they feel like stimulation from something that's triggering. Um, you know, when they start to hate their body and they, mm -hmm. they create this unhealthy relationship with their body because it's uncomfortable, you know, and I think, you know, normalizing that normalizing so many clients that I've had have, you know, sexual stimulation, for example, from watching a rape scene on TV. Uh, and they, they hate themselves for it. They beat themselves up for it. When in the reality, that's your body coping. That's your body learning to make this okay. And that's how your body coped with the fact of whatever you've been through. You know, so I think it's, it's so important that we really, really work on learning to love ourselves, learning to love our bodies, and, you know, learning to kind of go with the flow of whatever feelings are going to come up. Because I think the more we fight them, the harder we pull away from them, and the more we hate ourselves for them, the harder it is going to be for them to go away. But I think once you start to like embrace them, like some body memories or triggers or uncomfortable arousal, anything like that, I think if we embrace it, it's so much more acceptable. And then we actually don't even notice it as much or it's not as uncomfortable as it used to be. So, you know, between that and then using yoga to heal, using, especially with dissociation, you know, using yoga to feel connected to feel even just guided meditation with a progressive muscle relaxation, you know, being really present in your body and saying, you know, these are my feet. They stand on the ground. I am grounded with them. They support me. They get me from A to B, you know, having gratitude for the different parts of our body that really do just amazing things for us every day, you know, is, is so much about trauma healing. Right. Um, and one of the things that really blew me, blew me, um, blew my mind, really opened me, like, I mean, it validated a lot of things, and it just, it really tied a lot of these things connection, uh, uh, tied a lot of these loose ends in terms of the, the pathways between early adversity, there's the cat, and... Uh, Sorry, <laughs> we have <and>, Mia. <laughs> and health is the, uh, the uh, ACE study, are you familiar with the ACE study? I am not, I'm not actually, no, can you not. tell me about it? Well, I mean, it's I'm sort of a uh, what's an evangelist for for the ACE study to try to tell everybody about it. But it was mm -hmm. a study done um, uh, by these two doctors, uh, Vince Felitti and Robert Anda in Kaiser Permanente. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and initially, it was done as they were actually operating a weight loss uh, obesity clinic, and they saw that there were women that weren't responding to the treatment, and all those women had um, uh, sexual abuse histories. Mm. Yeah. And what they did is they decided to uh, create this massive longitudinal study where they interviewed 17,000 people and compared their um, the events in their childhood to their health as adults. They found these very uh, robust correlations. Mm -hmm. One of the, 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 the very interesting correlations was if they had... Um, six or more of these adverse childhood experiences, which are emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, having mm -hmm. a, a family member with a mental health problem, substance abuse problem. So sorry about this cat. No problem. <laughs> I so, hear you. Uh, each one of these events, they basically had six or more of the events. They, they were uh, 4,600 times more likely to become an IV drug user. Hmm. So... Not wonder, surprising. No, it's not surprising, but I wanted to ask you related to that, that connection. I know you've worked in the, uh, the treatment, the uh, chemical dependency field. What, mm -hmm. um, what your take is on the, the, the addiction trauma connection? You know, I think it's so, so interrelated. And, you know, I've worked in treatment before. I've worked with the 12-step models before. 
And you know, while I think that they're amazing and I really do think that they've given people a lot of healing, uh, I think that there's a missing link and that's trauma. I think, you know, especially, you know, the population and of the people that I was seeing when I was working in substance abuse, you know, privately or or with a group, um, you know, so many of my clients had trauma. You know, most of them, I'd say the majority, more often than not, had traumatic experiences. Do you find that they were a willing, um, um, they, they connected to that? You know, especially the females were more open to right. it. I don't mean to stereotype, but I did find that to be true within yeah. the work that I was doing. The males that I worked with had a much more difficult time to open up and really admit to it. They had it. They just weren't weren't, uh, in touch with it. But when they did, when they did open up to me, they opened up 10 times more because they finally, like I've had so many men who have said things to me that they said they've never admitted to anybody in their lives, you know, and it's just for them to finally have that voice and that safe place for them to feel heard and validated and, you know, free to talk about something so uncomfortable for them you know it does so much healing I think you know so often you know what people really need is just someone to hear them someone to listen to them and sit with them in their pain you know I think that too often therapists want to heal want to fix so quickly and you know we can't just rip the band-aid off and let someone feel better you know they have to sit with the ointment sorry they have to sit with the cream and and meditate with that and feel better with that So I think, you know, sitting with the trauma, sitting with the pain is so crucial. Um, And I've seen it with all different addictions, with drug abuse, alcohol abuse, eating disorders, sexual addictions, codependency in relationships. All of these things are so important and so impacted by trauma because, you know, especially our relationships. I mean, we, we seek what we are not used to having or, you know, what we think we want or need. And so too often it... It, you know, it causes us to, you know, define ourselves as needy or, you know, obsessive or well, it's a lot know, of, if always wanting if, someone. If you're, I'm sure you're familiar to it to uh, some, some extent, the whole, uh, well, attachment theory. It's a lot of mm-hmm. it's related to that whole attachment. Bonds. Yes. Yes. I think, you know, and that goes so much back to trauma because, you know, I think ch- children who have had trauma have insecure attachments. And it, it makes sense that they avoidance. do, or avoidance. Yes, it makes sense. They, you know, they don't want to get into relationships because it's just too frightening and uncomfortable, or they need someone so much because they're they're seeking constant, constant validation. And so, part of the trauma healing, especially with EMDR of resourcing, is let's learn to validate ourselves. Let's learn to, you know, self soothe. Let's create a safe place where we can you know, store and lock away the painful memories so that I can close them up and then open them in therapy only so that they're not invading my brain nearly as much as they were. You know, it's gaining control over something that feels very powerless. Yeah, but th- th- this is something that, uh, I mean, you can, you're, you're free to uh, disagree with me, but I'm curious your take on this. You were, you were talking about the, the therapist trying to fix things. From my, my perspective, mm-hmm. I don't think... I mean, I had this conversation when I was applying to one of these uh, jobs uh, not that long ago, and that they, uh, they want the 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 interview or wanted to me to talk about some case or the problem and how how did I fix that problem? And, and to mm-hmm. be honest, I don't really feel as a therapist that you can 
you're, you, you're not doing surgery, you're not fixing anything, you're just mm-hmm. trying to facilitate healing and bringing a healing presence and yes. giving the people the best um, knowledge in terms of what's up to date with what we know about uh, mental health symptoms and problems and how, how what, what are you know, coping strategies, but there's no... You're not doing surgery on, on somebody, and you're not. Mm-hmm. You're not. Re- they have to do their own work and their own healing. Right, I completely agree with you on that. Um, you know, I think of it kind of like swimming. I don't know why that came to mind for me, but it's like you can teach someone to swim, but you can't do it for them. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to kick their legs and they have to move their own arms in order to swim and move. Um, you know, and I think that that's so important. I think as a therapist, my job is to facilitate a safe environment to help people go about it and to guide them in the ways that they didn't know before, but it's their job to do the work. And so when my clients thank me sometimes and say, Oh my God, you did so much for me. My life is so much better because of you. It's not because of me. It's because of them. It's because they were willing to put in the work. They were willing to, you know, work on themselves and do the, do the tough stuff. And so at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, you only get what you're willing to put into it. I think it does take a good, good guide, but at the end of the day, if you're not going to kick your legs and, you know, move your arms, you're not going to get anywhere. And yeah. so with trauma, especially, I think that there's different times in people's lives that they're ready for the therapy. And maybe it's just to kind of touch the surface of it and then take a break from therapy for a bit. Or you're really, really ready and want to dive right in. You know, I don't think that there's any right time to come to therapy. But if it hasn't worked for you before, it might be because it just wasn't time for you. Um, you know, and and so I think it's, it's so important to kind of validate that, you know, and for example, like I don't knock the therapist who didn't understand the trauma I had because they got me further than I was before. They facilitated something that got me ready so that when I did meet the therapist that really helped me heal and guided me to learn how to help myself really, you know, I was ready because of all those other therapists too. So everyone's planting seeds, you know, and, and hopefully we're going to be planting good ones. And, you know, I think it's really it's the client who grows and that's really giving them credit. You know, it's a strength for them, that willingness to work on things and heal and, you know, just endure is, is so, so powerful. You know, our clients are really, really strong people. And I think people who've undergone trauma are very strong. You know, I'm grateful for the things that I've been through, whether they've been hard or not, you know, because that's why I do what I do, you know, because I've had awful things, you know, that propels me forward. And I don't know that I would be as driven of an individual or, you know, as, as empathetic of a therapist if I didn't experience what I've experienced. And so I've learned to look at it as a good thing. And so I try to help my clients do the same thing. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you, Marissa, what are some, um, some resources that you would recommend to other therapists, uh, related to working with trauma that, that, uh, um, sort of inform you or, uh, and also that you would recommend to clients? Um, you mean book-wise? Yeah, or books or, uh, or yeah, books. You know, I, I find it so helpful, actually. There's, there's different Facebook groups um, for people, you know, who are adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse, for example. And I find that to be so useful because what we need so much in this trauma field is that connection of you're not alone. And so to hear and read what other people are saying, especially for, for people who are surviving themselves, you know, it's survivors of adult sexual abuse is just an example of a page, but I think it's, 
you know, if you're going through it, it's so helpful to hear that you're not alone. And yeah. so that's why I think like the group modality of trauma healing is so important too. And, you know, I'm definitely in the process of setting up some group treatment therapy as well, because right. it's, it's so important to hear that you're not the only one that's been through it, you know, because it's, it's frightening to feel alone. And I think trauma can feel so alone for people because it's, it's an isolating thing. A lot of times family doesn't understand or they judge it or they, you know, they don't want to have that negative look. Um, so they don't want to talk about it. No one yeah. validates. So I think just to be validated by other people. Um, and book-wise, I have to say one of my most favorite, favorite books is Waking the Tiger, yeah, which is one. from Peter Levine. He's he's amazing. And he talks so much about body and body work healing trauma. And what I love the most about what he says is that he really validates the freezing. You know, we talk about fight or flight all the time. Um, and I have so many clients that freeze. Yeah, he, he, was, he was one of the first ones to really uh, think that into to my perspective, mm -hmm. uh, my thinking rather. Yes, I, yeah. absolutely. You know, I, I've had so many clients cry to me because they feel guilty. They blame themselves like, oh, you know, I let it happen because I just stayed there. I didn't run or I didn't scream. I didn't fight. But really freezing is a way to cope. And I think so often all we hear about is fight or flight, fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And those things are very true too. But freezing, it happens a lot more than we think. And so I think just to normalize that for clients, that if you froze, if you stayed and just, you know, stayed quiet, your body made you do what you felt you needed to do to survive. You know, we kind of do what we need to do. And I think there's nothing wrong with whether we fight, flight or freeze. There's no wrong way or right way. But I just, I love how you know, he speaks to that as being normal. I think it's so important to normalize that. Um, and just our body's abilities to heal is so amazing. I mean, he speaks about, you know, animals in the wild being hunted and kind of doing freezing and then doing like a shake to kind of shake the trauma away. Yeah, yeah. Well, there. I wonder if you're familiar with it at all. I, 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 um, I downloaded this uh, app to do it, but I, I was mm -hmm. curious about exploring it, but it's uh, sort of... Um, it's called the trauma releasing exercises, and these uh, it's different uh, gentle exercises to try to evoke that kind of uh, natural mm -hmm. uh, trauma healing response. You know, we definitely keep trauma in different parts of our body. My only hesitancy with trauma releasing is doing it too quickly. I think sometimes people, you know, look at that as the one way, or you know, like. For example, I had a therapist try to push me to, you know, scream into a pillow. Like and a I just wasn't scream. Yes, and I just wasn't ready. But like once I got to a point where I was ready, I found it very therapeutic and very healing. But I think it's, you know, it's all about that client and therapist relationship and the therapist really, you know, my goal is to understand my clients and know where they're at. I don't want to push anybody outside their comfort zone. That's what they're here for in the first place. You know, they were traumatized. They were pushed outside of their comfort zone. So it's all about what they're wanting to do. But I find so often too, sometimes people will say like, oh, I just want to hit something or, you know, I just want to scream. And that's when I will validate, like, let's do it. You know, let's let it out. Let's, let's feel in another way and give it kind of validation. And I think that's even like self-validating to like let yourself scream, let yourself hit a pillow, whatever it might be, you know, punch a punching bag. Um, as long as it's safe, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I think it has to be done at the appropriate timing and there has to be a good, healthy agreement between the therapist and the client um, with regards to what happens if I break down after? What happens if this makes me dissociate? You know, what are we going to do? What are the grounding techniques that we need? And I think grounding techniques are, 
you know, also a really important part of our body, you know, like sometimes temperature, for example, can really, really help with grounding, holding ice cubes, you know, drinking cold water, just kind of feeling, you know, a soft blanket, feeling really present, you know, those kind of things they think are so crucial. Um, and letting your loved ones who do understand know that those things help you because our bodies do respond to that, you know, touch and smell and right. all of our senses are so important, you know, in body healing. What about, have you, you're familiar with the, the polyvagal theory at all? I am not, no. Uh, well, this guy, Stephen uh, Porges, he's um, some type of uh, scientist, I forget exactly what type, but he... Mm -hmm. uh, he talks a lot about the, the, the vagus nerve. Are you familiar with the vagus nerve? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the, it's basically about the, the role in the vagus nerve and the, the, all the. Mm -hmm. It plays a big part in the whole trauma thing. And it's mm -hmm. something we're understanding more about, but there's actually this company, and uh, have you heard of them, called Nirvana? Yes. You have yes. heard of them? I tried that. They were demoing it in South Beach, and I tried it. I didn't feel anything from the thing. Have you ever tried it? You're, I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. No. <laughs> No, you know, I think it's great that people are just coming up with new things because that's bringing attention to our field. Yeah. You know, whether it works or doesn't work, um, you know, the fact that it's bringing attention is so needed. I think not enough people bring attention to trauma yeah. because it's just they don't want to talk about it. They're afraid to talk about it. Um, but honestly, I mean, if the statistics say that, for example, one in four people have had sexual abuse or physical yeah. abuse in Very their life. High. I mean, it's so high, but and, and we're not talking that's, about that, it. That's important to bring up regarding this from my perspective is that, you know, the people that usually have DCF involvement uh, or, or the, 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 you know, the, the social service agency in their, whatever it is in their local community, they're generally the ones that are marginalized that already are dealing with poverty, all these other problems. Mm -hmm. but, the, yeah. but, but the data actually shows that these events happen across all socioeconomic Oh, services. yeah. Completely. I mean, and, and trauma I that they're be, they're, happens they're, everywhere. They're, they're, but they're you know, but they're identified more in, in the, the poor communities. So. Yes, I agree. And I think that there's a stigma related to that as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, someone in a wealthier community or a more religious community, yeah. for example, it's almost, you know, so private and so quiet because we want to represent our families well and, you know, not make anybody judge us or not be different from the crowd. Right. But, you know, I think more often than not, it is happening. Well, and, you know, it's so important to be that voice to say, like, you're not alone. Let's yep. talk about it. Let's heal. Well, I don't know if you ever, I uh, went to one of their events in, in Boca um, about uh, maybe about six months ago. There, there's an organization called uh, JCW, Jewish Community Watch, that's... Uh, mm -hmm doing a lot of work regarding uh, sexual abuse in the, the religious Jewish community. You're familiar with them? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I remember I worked at, um, in New York when I was in graduate school, and there was a lot of that going on there yeah. where there was they were really starting some outreach programs because especially in the Hasidic community, right. it was happening, and it was happening you know, in very, very high numbers, right. and no one was talking about it. And so I think it almost creates more of, you know, kind of a black cloud or gray cloud around it where everyone's even more secretive, more private, and not seeking help because they don't want to be viewed differently. Um, when in reality, I think it's happening too often, too often, unfortunately. Well, one of the things that, I mean, I, uh, that as, as you know regarding the trauma is one of the things that makes it so pervasive and, uh, and damaging is the, the secrecy around these mm -hmm. types of events. And I think that's one of my intentions for 
getting people uh, like yourself and trauma survivors and, and different activists uh, to, to talk with and just get the message out there. Like, and that's one of the things I like to always promote, like you're not alone, that if you're mm -hmm. dealing with this, you're not alone, seek help or, or and I don't think that, that help can take in many different forms. It can be through peer support, it can be from a therapist, mm -hmm. it can be through art, there's many, many different paths. Oh yeah, there's so many ways to heal. I mean, even some of these books are really, really great and just kind of starting to get you to feel comfortable talking about it and thinking about it. Um, you know, I think I really, really believe in what you're doing and I really appreciate what you're doing because so much of it is private. And, you know, I remember for myself years ago when I was looking into self-help groups, there was nothing, you know, there was almost nothing on the internet. There was almost no groups that I could go to that people would understand me or that I'd feel like I'd, you know, relate to anybody because it's just not out there. You know, and, and I've even, you know, I've spoken with other people as well who feel like, you know, maybe there's plenty of sexual abuse things, but almost nothing talking about emotional abuse, you know, and I don't think there's plenty of anything. I think that we need, we need more groups, period. But, you know, I think it also, we need to normalize the fact that emotional abuse is real. Emotional abuse leaves scars deeper than any visual scar that we could see. And, you know, I think so often people will minimize what they've been through and say like, oh, you know, I wasn't raped or, but I wasn't hit by a car or whatever it might be, you know, but any kind of thing that causes a stress or feeling like your life is going to be damaged in any way that causes trauma, you know, and I hear so often people minimizing their trauma. Oh, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't get hurt. You know, but at the end of the day, like everything's real for everybody. And, you know, I really want to validate that for people that, your experience is real. And if it's hurting you, then it's a problem that you can work on, you know, in a good way. It's a, something to, to heal with, you know, but it's not sm too small to deal with. It doesn't not matter. It matters. It really matters. Well, one of the way Peter Levine uh, defines trauma is that it, it's some type of experience that, that causes a uh, sort of disruption of the nervous system. And I think mm -hmm. that's one, one good way of looking at it. Yeah. I absolutely love Peter Levine. I love his writing and you know, just his work and how he looks at trauma in general. And, you know, just that's so much of what EMDR is about, that it's stored in our brain. So, you know, just to kind of debunk some ideas about EMDR for a minute, you know, so many people think like, well, what is waving my finger in front of someone's eyes going to do? Yeah. But really, you know, what it is, is our brain stores trauma. And in certain parts of our brain, you know, our, our brain registers that trauma has occurred. And so if anything happens, that's somewhat even remotely similar, we go into trauma mode. And that makes sense because that's how our brains are wired. That's how we're supposed to cope. But what EMDR does is it helps you re-establish the wiring of your brain so that it's really, it's going new pathways. We're creating new pathways. We're healing that wiring so that it's going you know, in a more positive direction. And so, you know, it's pretty amazing, but we're joining the hemispheres. The whole point of waving your hand in front of, you know, someone's eyes in the direction and at the pace, all of those things are very important, by the way, the pace, the spacing, being at eye level, how your seating is positioned, all of those things are crucial because we want to stimulate certain parts of the brain so that they can really repair themselves. Right. Um, well, anyway, yeah, that's great. That's great information. And it's great that you're providing that service to people. That, Thank that you. They, that, they, uh, that it can be hard to find somebody who's really uh, trained in EMDR. Yes. Um, what, uh, any, um, 
Any closing uh, remarks that you'd like to, uh, to leave? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I think is most important is just to let go of judgments and assumptions. I mean, two people could be in the exact same event and take it completely differently. Um, and, and that could be because they had other experiences as well that kind of shaped where their brain pathways take it. Um, so I think it's, you know, not to belittle anybody, not to judge anybody. I've had too often, I've had people say to me, oh, well, my trauma is not real trauma. You probably wouldn't need to help me on it. And I said, well, why was it? You know, and usually it's, it's, it's always real. It's real to them. And that's what matters. Um, and so, you know, I think it's so important to just highlight that everyone's ex- trauma experience is different. And, you know, the therapist is also kind of in that relationship of, let me show you healthy patterns. Let me show you how to be in a good relationship, you know, in a healthy, safe, boundaried relationship. Because so often people with trauma never experience what it was like to have healthy boundaries. Um, And so I think it's, you know, our role as as a therapist is to model that for clients and to help them understand, but also to help them understand that it's okay that they do what they do. You know, because we don't want to make anybody feel bad. They do what they do because that's how they've they've lived so far. That's or how adaptive. they've coped. Adaptive. Exactly. Adapted. Thank you. I can't um, think of the word. Well, yeah. Well, well, one of the things I think about abuse specifically, any any really any type of abuse is it's um, particularly. I mean, the sexual abuse is just a really um, explicit example of it. It's just a violate not respecting somebody's boundaries. Mm-hmm. Completely. It's all about you know. Your bound, it's saying your boundaries don't matter. Right. Mine are more, what right. I want is more yeah, important. Absolutely. And so even just giving them the space to feel safe to create a boundary, you know, is, or even to just understand what a boundary might look like or feel like is such an empowering thing because all of a sudden my clients say, oh, you know, I didn't realize that I have the choice. They just always feel like they have to do things. You know, they have to please people. People pleasing is huge, I see. And, you know, it's, oh, I don't have to do this. I don't have to make this person happy if I don't want to, or I don't have to say yes all the time. You know, that's so empowering, so empowering. And, you know, the boundaries are so important in our life, but it makes sense that they weren't learned behaviors. So how would anybody expect to know them if they aren't taught them? Well, and when you're on the, on the topic of boundaries, I mean, one of, one of the, the words that, that's such a, it's such a vile term that therapists uh, like to use, I mean, when they refer to somebody is a borderline that uh, they are challenging to work with, but uh, and they're draining, as you, I'm sure you know. But but the, I've always experienced, to me, it's just that somebody who's been very traumatized, yeah, and it's just their adaptation to that experience and mm-hmm. their their survival mechanism. But it's not um, it's not one that fits in, in our uh, serves them well in uh, our mm-hmm. world. But that's just. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I think that, you know, the, the DBT work, really dialectical behavioral therapy, which is specifically working with borderline personality disorder, it really is amazing what it does. And to really, like, kind of break things down and look at, oh, this is how I look at things and this is how other people look at things. And to help understand, like, where is the disconnect? Um, so often, I think not everybody really, I think people are honestly overdiagnosed with borderline personality disorder when really I think, you know, we're all on spectrums of certain personality traits. But they're all actually, I mean, uh, I talked to a psychiatrist about this and I mean the the whole, I'm not a big fan of the DSM, but but even the the people that created, the psychiatrists that created it, it was always always, uh, they were, 
all these disorders are supposed to be uh, designed as spectrums. But we, mm -hmm. but the problem is, is that one of the features of our brain uh, is that we like to think of things as, as binary. And, right. And it's, it's hard right. for many people to think, talk about things as a spectrum. I believe so much in the spectrum because, you know, it's, it's all about what, you know, you could be on the extreme side or the lower side and we're in the middle. And I think it's more about like, let's figure out what we can do to help your life be more satisfying. Let's figure out how you can cope better. You know, it's not about labeling. I really don't believe in labeling, to be honest with you, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I do what I do so much because it's, yes, for some people, I think labeling can be very clinically appropriate and helpful, because um, it gives them kind of an acknowledgement of why they are the way they are. Yeah. But beyond that, I think it's, you know, so often it says, oh, you're this way. And then people have this just impression of people. And you know, we're just humans. We're just another yeah. bozo on the bus, if you will. You know, yeah. we're all just doing our best. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's, you know, as much as people say they're hard to work with, I think they're so amazing to work with. All people are amazing to work with because everybody is really resilient, more resilient than they give themselves credit for. And, you know, a lot of the times when we have maladaptive coping mechanisms, it's because we were taught them. It's because our brains had to teach us to do them because that's how we needed to survive. Yeah. But all of those things that are learned can be unlearned and relearned and rewired. And so that's really the beauty of therapy. It just takes time, though. It takes, it takes Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it, you know, it takes time, but it's so worth it. You know, it's really... If, if you really want to make your life better and enjoy your life and find satisfaction and not have triggers or difficulty, you know, it's so worth the investment. You know, so often I say to clients, you know, invest in yourself. Like, think about how often we pay for shoes that we say we need or, you know, whatever it might be. We pay our cable bill, but we're not willing to invest in ourselves that time, that that kind of self-care and nurturing and loving ourselves that is so needed. So, you know, that's one of my biggest things is, you know, do something for yourself every day. You know, do something to feel good about you, to show yourself, hey, I'm worth it and I matter. And, you know, it might be a tough point in my life, but that's okay because we're going to get through this. You know, and one of my favorite quotes, and I'll end with this, is, and I'm totally going to butcher it because I don't have it written anywhere. But it's, um, you know, I've, I've, what is it? I've, I've survived 100% of the difficult days. So my, you know, my what is it? My percentage of survival rate is pretty good. You're something, I'm totally butchering that. No, I'm but not it's, familiar with the one. So. <laughs> it's an amazing quote about just the idea that like, you know what? We've made it through another day, whether it's been a sucky day right. or a great day, we've made it. And so yeah. give yourself credit. It's, you know, we have to be gentler to ourselves. We really, really do. Well, thank you, Marissa. I really appreciate it. And, thank uh, have you. Have a great, uh, great weekend. You too. Take care. It's my pleasure.